What's up, y'all? She from Legacy Hustle here. I have a little request of you. If you truly appreciate what we're trying to do here and you enjoy the show, the sharing, the transparency, and the insights, as well as the inspiration we bring you with each and every episode, I need you to help us out as well by supporting. Go ahead and subscribe, like, comment, follow, and review as we work to get the word out to more people about the show. Also, please consider sharing the show with your entire network. Thank you. Enjoy the show. Armed with a patent pending algorithm that converts song lyrics into literacy tools, Gil Perkins, doing business as Sage Salvo, developed a digital platform as a service called The Opus, which facilitates literacy instruction through mass collaboration between music artists and classrooms so that it creates and develops an automated lesson plan. Sage's startup Words Live is a futuristic education technology startup organized around a literacy moonshot. By the year 2045, they want two thirds of the nation's students to be grade level reading proficient. He's raised and earned over half a million dollars for Words Live to further develop their technology product, The Opus, which as I shared before is the platform that is creating this technology which allows on-demand and real-time lesson development, discovery, and sharing of unique literacy lessons that integrate popular song lyrics and other contemporary texts into existing reading and writing instruction. Through its beta stage, Words Live has already serviced over 4,000 educators and parents. It's available in program format as well. Words Live offers a reading hackathon program for schools looking to boost their students' literacy performance. Sage has also authored opinion pieces in the Washington Post and Ed Surge. He's also been featured in Forbes Inc. Magazine, NPR, and the Washington Post, among others. He's also the author of the forthcoming book, Inseparable But Unequaled, How Brown vs. Board of Education Set Up an Education Culture War. Academically, uh, he has an MPA from the Harvard Kennedy School and an MBA from the University of Toronto. Sage resides in Arlington, Virginia with his wife, Latasha, and their daughter, Guy Noel. This brother today dropped a lot of gems, and so I really hope you sit back and digest all the information that he's sharing as he's gone on his journey, because it's definitely going to be powerful and helpful to you as our legacy hustler. And if you're listening to his his um, current sort of focus with Words Live in the Opus, and you're interested in being able to support please be sure to check out the show notes as well. His accolades are way too numerous to kind of list out in this intro. So be sure you check out the show notes for all of his accolades that he has um, with all the work that he's been doing. This is an incredible brother. I'm really excited to get this show going. So let's go ahead and get into it. All right, Sage, thank you so much for being on our show today. Really, really excited to have you here. Um, can you start off by just breaking down Words Live for the audience? Yeah, no, brother, thank you for having me as well. Uh, so Words Live is a startup. We are very much still in startup phase, but we're dedicated to helping literacy. And in particular, we found 50 different literacy competencies for middle school and high schoolers, things like subject verb agreement, do you understand figurative versus literal language? Well, we found those in music. And so what we do is we use music, real music, 
top 40 songs, underground songs, things your kids are listening to. We do the hard work of finding those literacy competencies in music and then making it really easy for a teacher to build a lesson plan for their kids based off the music they're listening to. So in that way, it's just really, really responsive and culturally relevant for the kids we're trying to reach. So talk to us about where this desire to create what you just spoke about um, and bring it to life uh, and, and find ways to educate the generations coming behind us. Like, where did that drive and desire come from? What was the motivation? Yeah, I, I like to say my orientation was real organic. So I am a songwriter. I'm a poet by nature. Um, I had a, a brief little, you know, mixtape stint in D.C. in the uh, early 2000s. Uh, so I, I was part of the scene. And uh, it's a passion of mine. So I, I love it. And I love it so much that I, I realized the rigor of songwriting and how many of the same congruent literacy skills that songwriters have that we're trying to teach our kids. And it just so happens, this it was like a perfect storm. Uh, I was asked to teach for the first time at Howard University when I was in grad school. But I was also hosting an open mic in DC, a real popular spot. I was on a mixtape circuit performing. So those two worlds just collided and I just started having a desire to teach my students through music and through poetry, um, the skills that I wanted to appear in their own writing. And it kind of snowballed from there. I tried it out at Howard University and my, my own campuses. I then started volunteering in DC public schools and the high schools around Howard. And it kind of snowballed. So I said, there's a need, like the, the kids are, are just deficient and lacking a bunch of these literacy skills. And yeah. I really think I got a solution for it. And so it, it, it snowballed. At this point, there was no thought about an app or, you know, some company. I was just really trying to help solve this challenge. I love that. So you just saw an issue in our community that you wanted to address and you began trying to figure out how do I get it there? Right. So you said at that point, at that initial phase, you you saw the problem and then you started ideating on the solution. So how did you get it from being that idea that was in your head and things that you're beginning to try out mm -hmm. to now where it's a full-blown application, a website that people can tap into as far as teachers go to help build into their curriculum? Talk about some of that process. For sure. And and this this is actually, I would say, the critical part of the journey. So if you, if you can just give yourself the time to really try to understand the challenge you're trying to solve. And that means a lot of work's going to be for free because you're still studying the problem. You see that there's a gap in something, something's not working correctly. You know, it's bothering you and you think you have a solution. Take the time to investigate it, interview the people, run experiments, run trials. And, and that's what I did. I literally was volunteering, like a one guy volunteering in classrooms so much so that I remember one school asked me, they pulled me aside and were like, hey, are you a, a registered vendor with the school system? And I was like, no, I'm just, you know, a grad school uh, student trying to volunteer. And the, the the administrator told me I had to actually go register as a vendor, like become an official business and a vendor to, to partner with the schools. Because before that, I sincerely was still just trying to figure out the problem and, and why we couldn't get these kids to where they needed to be. So that was like a very special moment. In, a, in the journey. And so I, I took that advice, right? I went and I got registered and all that. And things began to snowball as well. Went from like one school to three schools, 
to five schools. And then I met a gentleman who was doing some similar work, Asheru, who a lot of people might know, um, uh, wrote and performed a theme song on a boondocks. Another longtime DCPS teacher. He and I hooked up and we said, yo, we got the same vision. We started working together. More snowballing. We got featured on the local news. And that's when I caught the attention of a few, like the higher ups in the education department. I had a chance meeting with a really high up gentleman, like like in the Obama administration, it's like last year. And uh, he put a challenge to me. He said, listen, what you're doing with schools, I think is groundbreaking. The teachers love it, students love it. You, your engagement is off the charts, but you can't give this or get this to every kid that actually needs it. How are you going to answer that challenge? So that's the challenge of scale. So now it's like, okay, you've kind of built this nucleus. You got a few customers. You're solving a problem in a very localized setting, but that problem exists in, in so many in other many places. different places. Now the new challenge is how do you take that thing and scale that solution to reach all the people that need it? Um, and that process, I think, is quite literally the process of entrepreneurship. It's expanding your solution past that that kind of first nuclear uh, space. And um, that's what we've been doing. We can, I think the next step uh, that I should talk about is like, okay, when you solve in that smaller space, right. that's like point number one of validity, right? Like you, you got some valid data. It's, Students are, or for, in my case, students are, are getting it. They're requesting it. Teachers say it's easy to use. They're requesting it. That's like a literally point number one. And that's how you were, sorry, just to interrupt before you continue from point one. And that's how you're beginning to snowball, right? You would have teachers who are impressed with what you were bringing and they would talk to their network and tell you, hey, got somebody else you should talk to. And that's how you're beginning to spread in the beginning, right? A hundred percent word of mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Like if, if what you're doing doesn't have, word of mouth value it doesn't mean kill it but you, you do need to start to poke a little bit because when people find stuff that's good they talk about it so if you know if, if people are not talking about your solution when you first introduce it just investigate that a little bit you know ask why um yeah. then, but in my case yeah like that word of mouth is what, what what gave that organic spread um so sorry for throwing you off jump back into it you were going to hit yeah. us with number two in that journey so, so this is number two how do you scale? Like, how do you even think about scaling? You still have no real money, right? Even we we did get like an early paid pilot, but it was by no means sustainable money. It was literally like I think fifteen thousand dollars that can't sustain a company. So how do I answer that call and say, okay, I want to go to this school district or that school district? Um, I am a huge advocate for accelerators and and incubators. Talk so about be, it, right? Because you had some, I had something, I. Had, a small little proof point. I now can make a case that I can repeat that proof point, you know, in other markets. And so you're you're ready to accept some early seed money now because you have one little point of validity. You need some funding and some support to get to kind of level number two. And so I just went hard at like education accelerators. And, and, and how did you identify these education accelerators? And even before we start talking mm -hmm. about that, break down for the people, what's an accelerator? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> so, so there are various types, but effectively, it's usually some philanthropy um, or can even be like a Fortune 500 company that has like an arm or a department. But it's usually some much larger entity that's decided, hey, we're going to bring in some new ideas, some fresh ideas, some startups that have potential, give them a little bit of capital 
Sometimes it's purely like a grant, like a philanthropic grant. Sometimes it'll be for equity. They'll want a piece of your company, but they're going to bring you in. They're going to give you some basic business management skills, uh, some startup support, uh, kind of help you hire, help you get off the ground. And just for a period of time, let's say six months, usually they're, they're going to incubate you. And that's called an accelerator because they're kind of really taking you like an acceleration, like pushing you out there into market quicker than you would if you didn't have that 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 support. That support and that ecosystem in place. Yep. So now let's talk about you very specifically said you were looking for education incubators, yeah. accelerators, excuse me. How do I you identify, you know, where accelerators are at and find them, et cetera? That is such a good question. Um, how did I identify them? One, I was, so this is a long part of the story because I did like 10 different accelerators over, over time. Okay. Uh, the very first one was was local. So if, if, if there's a lesson here is to start local, see what's around you. And this particular one, Halcyon, was connected to the uh, Washington, D.C. government. So I know it sounds a little odd, but your, your local government, they do have and sponsor programs. Um, go to the Small Business Bureau um, or any SBA that's connected to your government. They should know of incubators and accelerators around you. Um, that's a that was a starting point number one. That opened up two doors for me. One, a grad school door, which we'll probably pivot back to that later in the story. But that got my first taste of like coming into a program, looking at the startup ecosystem, and like giving me kind of like the roadmap, like. Here's what seed level is. Here's what series A is, series B. Here's what investors want. They brought actual real investors in to talk. So I got to learn like, okay, how investors view this journey. I got to be in concert with other founders. We were a cohort of seven. I think my cohort was, was seven startup founders. That's the other yeah. benefit is you get to talk to other founders. So now I'm learning, oh, so-and-so has an accelerator too. Oh, and they have a lot more money. So it becomes kind of like this, you know, this this network that you you become ingratiated into. And now you're learning where the money is and you're learning about the other opportunities. And uh, yeah, so that that's pivotal point number two right there is to start those accelerators and, and incubators. And I'll also say, I'll make an analogy. Kind of like how getting the internship in college, like that that's that gateway to getting that job when you graduate. Yep. Incubators are kind of becoming that for startup founders. It's like they're the gatekeepers for getting the big investment when you're ready. So it's like you do the accelerator program, you get your name out there, you get a certain kind of brand, and then the next level or next step is to get a real investment uh, from those, those same people. Um, so it's, it's a very similar process to like the internship for, for college. Got it. Got it. And so you've been, you've been talking a little bit about, um, the ecosystem that exists and some of the funding that, that comes through it. Just going back to when you first started, where did you get the money to even start? Right. Cause you were talking about experimenting and whatnot. So at that point in time, where did it come from? I had, I had nothing. I didn't have friends and family that had that wanted to give me any money. Right. Uh, I might have had a couple thou, literally, just say, and I mean like a couple, like three or four thousand. That was it. And I, I just, I just rolled with that. I, I didn't have much at all. Um, and while that that puts you at a disadvantage, I actually think most people start with like not much. I really do. Yeah. And that's another reason why those accelerators are so important. So the checks aren't huge. So. You know, it's, it's, I think this is 
public knowledge by now because I think they they all have to post. I think Halcyon was like fifteen thousand. Yep. So enough to you know kind of do a pilot, but obviously not enough to like sustain you for the year. And that's why you know you make the case of okay, I did Halcyon. Now I need to look for the next uh, program. The next one for me was Camelback Ventures. Well, that was forty five thousand. Right. And so, you know, now we're kind of building something. Now I can might be able to think of bringing on to somebody for a project, putting up a website, putting a prototype together, going to a conference to try to present. That's another big was it was a big um, sort of inflection point for us is when we presented presented at South by Southwest, because um, it's just that's I, I call it the water cooler where yep. everybody in the industry, they cross paths at that that place. Those conferences, those are so vital. So exposure points are critically important. So big mainstay events that you can attend, especially depending on what your product or services that you're thinking about, it could have huge positive ramifications when a lot of eyeballs, a lot of energy and momentum is put behind it at an event like South by Southwest. Yes. So you you spoke about some of the challenges that that very first year. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb. That first year, I'll probably say you didn't make any money. No. Okay. No. And and now how many years later are we at with Words Live? So this is 2022 going into our sixth year. Six years in the game. Six years in the game. And so what would you say your expected revenue is going to be by the end of this year? Man, revenue this year, we should eclipse about a quarter mil this year. And that's a combination of school districts and individual subscribers, which is a pivot we had to decide on last year. Okay. And pandemic came and we had to re kind of really rethink about the way we offered the solution to the customers. I dig it. I dig it. So in, in sort of the pandemic's own way, it opened up this whole new avenue through which you could, you could identify additional revenue uh, streams as well. And I'm assuming that those customers, given what you do are professors and teachers that want to tap into Mm -hmm. being able to do that with, with their, classrooms, even though perhaps the school district isn't tapping in. Is that fair or are there other customers out there that tap in? No, that's that's actually really fair. Um, the, what the pandemic did for us is it showed us that there's a viable uh, B2C. I, I, I hate to use um, business. The acro- yeah, the acronym, but you business know, I, I to consumer. I, I think your audience will, will dig it. So yeah. typically, if you're in my industry in ed tech, you're selling to a school or to a school district. And that's considered the only viable business model. History backs that up. However, when the pandemic showed us is that parents, groups, they're forming their own pods. Um, education is becoming a lot more decentralized and at the home. And they're willing to spend on their own curriculum. Well, that now means that there's a viable path B2C going directly to parents and teachers. And so that's how we changed our model to fit the moment. Um, and we've we've been able to get organic growth from individual subscribers. And it's crazy. Like, so we're a year in well, less than a year in of this experiment from the pandemic. Yep. And so we offered individuals two different prices. They could pay per month, like $9 a month, or they could pay per year, 90 bucks a year. We thought that we were helping to, to, to onboard them with the monthly, like a Spotify subscription. Most of the parents are paying the $90 a year. And so it's the, those kind of data points that you have to go back and now we have to talk and say, we're just wondering, you know, we're glad, but we're wondering like why you opted for the annual subscription versus the monthly, getting to know our customers a different kind of way. Because again, we're, we're still trying to prove this, this sort of hybrid business model. Right. Um, but that's why it's a journey. Like it's never, it's never just, 
I've got it. It's done. You know, I can sit down and relax. It, it doesn't work like that. I dig it. I dig it. So it sounds like uh, effectively anyone in our audience, especially if they have kids around that age demographic, can tap into downloading and leveraging Words Live themselves now for 90 bucks a year. Oh, 100 um, percent. Right. Particularly if you're, you know, maybe your teacher's not engaging. Um, maybe your kid's just not reading a lot um, it, it, that we do really, really well with struggling readers disengaged readers, um, students that just want more, just want, just want to connect dots. I want a rigorous like examination of literature. We do very well with that population. I, I, I'm here for it. And I appreciate, you know, the flag that you've lifted and, and are trying to drive out here to ensure that more of our community is as literate as possible. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just a fundamental need for us to be able to, you know, be able to navigate that. And then thinking about, other elements that you need to navigate society in general. It's just yes. foundationally fundamental to have yes. that down pat. So thank you for that. Yes. Um, when you reflect and think about sort of your journey thus far um, over the time that you've been at the helm of Words Live, what has been the biggest challenge that you've had to overcome? Hmm. Man, there's been a few. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say Early, especially early on, um, the the race, the being a black male in education technology, that was, it was just a it was a very hard hitting reality that I had to face because most of the folks that are creating solutions for schools are white males, and I would just notice. I'll, I'll give you an example of some of the wild stuff that was said to me, so. I made it a point early on to never use the word hip hop in a business pitch, right? I'm already black. I'm already kind of young, got an urban style. The association is going to be made. So I don't even need to say that. Right. So I would just speak to songwriting in general. And even in my pitches, I would always have like Katy Perry, Taylor Swift, you know, John Mayer, like just to make sure you guys know, like I'm not just this hip hop guy. Yeah, to- it's all sorts of music. Yes, it's like the, literally just the, the actual skill set of songwriting. And so I, I made a point never to say this. However, business pitch, super corporate setting. I had an older white gentleman interrupt my pitch, like not even let me finish the pitch. He almost like did an objection in court. And he said, he was like, so you mean to tell me you're trying to teach our kids bitches and hoes? True story. True story. And this is in the midst, in the, in this the, is the midst of a multitude of people. Of a pitch. Yeah, he's not the only investor in the room. So right. it's like, it's just wildly inappropriate. And, and, and uh, how do you respond to that, right? Like, so, you know, what you're hearing um, in terms of, of what Sage is sharing here for, for you to just sort of digest and take a moment is some of the stuff that you may yourself yeah. experience as you go on this journey. So, how did you respond? How, how did you navigate? To be real with you, I was like in shock. So, yeah. you're already you're already kind of terrified, right? Like you're, you're, you're doing a business pitch. So I'm up here with like the blueprint projections, you know, the origin story, the market, I'm trying to get my numbers right. You're already terrified. Right. And then that happens. And I, honestly, I, it wasn't even anger. It was nothing. I was in shock. I was in like utter shock that somebody did that. Yeah. So I don't even think I answered his question. I think someone else, kind of like like a moderator kind of like uh like let's you know let's let's finish the pitch first kind of like intervened yeah i I probably look like a deer in headlights like what just happened right um so i don't even remember responding to that person like that's how 
that's how shocking that experience was. But obviously, after that, it's kind of like you're off, you know? Like, I, I don't remember anything about the rest of the pitch. I remember there were some decent questions from other investors afterwards, and maybe they were kind of making up, you know, for the awkwardness. But that was just that that went south. I don't think I don't think we got a single solitary new supporter from that experience. From that experience. No. And so in in hearing this story, I hope that you are um appreciating that one, you know, Sage Salvo's business is thriving as he shared before in terms of expected revenue, but you are going to be met with some hiccups along the way. Um unexpected things are going to be thrown at you uh and and just persevere continue to navigate through it, um, come out the other side and figure out alternative paths. If for whatever reason you're met with um, that sort of energy um, mm-hmm. in, in your journey to setting up your own personal legacy hustle. Yeah. What sort of sacrifices have you had to make for your business? Dude, time and family is big. Um, so I am married with a child. And I remember even early on having some conversations about like, can you even do this, this process with a family? Because it's, you know, you, you if, if you have an, a good job, like a, a well-paying, stable job, you have a little, you should have at least a moderate amount of predictability, right? I know I'll most likely be home at this time. I know I'll most likely be home this weekend. Um, I can kind of plan events, right? There's, there's some predictability in your schedule. But when you're starting from scratch, it means you have to be opportunistic, which means if something pops up, you need to be there. Um, and that can put a strain on, you know, like if you have any family responsibilities, because it's it's Tuesday. You find out that there's a conference with a key customer that you need to pull in on Friday. So now you got to tell your family, hey, I'm, I got to fly across the country Thursday night and I'll be back Saturday. And that's like a two day notice. All right. Well, that that kind of doing that too much uh, can kind of put a strain, you know, uh, on your relationships. So I would definitely highlight um, the relationship piece. It, it takes a very understanding and I think nurturing uh, home life and, and family support system or friend support system, because you're not going to have a lot of predictability uh, in your schedule. With that also is the uh, <laughs> the chaotic uh um, financial flow. So you get that $15,000 check, you know, your bank account goes up 15,000. You figure out how to spend it. You usually spend it before you figure out the next stream to come in. So you kind of have these super highs and these lows. And, and, and when you raise money, like we, we close the seed round, when you raise money, it can, you know, you're a couple hundred thousand dollars in the bank. And then you got to figure, okay, you, you're building your team, you're making payroll, you're doing all these things, and you start to see that thing decline, right? And so, oh, I gotta go, go raise some more money. So, like, just the, the the erratic side and the erratic nature of the cash flows of that the roller schedule, coaster. that that's the most taxing part of it. And um, you know, it, it it impacts. I think something we don't talk a lot about it. It impacts your mental health. That's a huge part of this. Uh, and like I said before, like just like you know that your family, your friend structure, whoever you, you have caring for you, that can be traumatic for them. Yeah, and and this is another side that you know I was so adamant in terms of creating this medium so that you could hear the stories of people that look like us who are out here creating these amazing legacy builders and legacy makers in terms of their business. We always hear the glamorized portion, the dollar dollar bills, the um, sort of money you're able to make, and and all of that stuff, but 
the reality is this is still work. Though you're pursuing a passion, though you're putting to work your gifts and talents to create this thing that you know is going to have huge impact in the world around you in a positive way, it's not easy and it is taxing. So communication is key. In terms of your mental, Sage Salva, what have you done to like ensure that you're in a place of peace? Man, I'm going to insert a quote. So there's another entrepreneur who's, who's real good friends with me, uh, Talib, and uh if, if I'm actually going to try to recommend him for this show as well, because he he and I kind of came up together uh, in this um, in this game. Uh, but Talib Graves, man. But he said, you know, he was having a conversation with a friend who's in a good space, uh, a nice job. And his friend was, was complaining that he was broke. You know, he just had a big bill, I think like a huge water bill or something crazy. Right. And so he was like, man, I'm broke. I can't really hang out this week. And Talib looked at him and said, Look, man, I'm an entrepreneur. Your broke ain't my broke. You got a check coming in two weeks. We got two different two different definitions of broke. Right. That when you're an entrepreneur, literally, just think about it like this: you've gone out, you've done all this super hard work, you raised some money, and or you've got a customer, you're doing some type of job, and you you're up. Right. Things are good, but then as that job, you know, time goes on, and you worked it, or you paid out bills or things, you're at zero, and that next job hasn't come through yet. You literally don't know when the next time you're going to have money. And that is that that like that's trauma. Like that's right. for some of us who grew up poor, that's going backwards. And so the only thing that's really kept me sane, man, is just like my faith in God, honestly. And I've told people like this game to me is like the greatest walk of faith because you're saying, all right, everything that I'm seeing around me is indicating I'm about to be super broke. Like I don't know when the next check is coming, but I'm going to wake up and I'm going to keep going. That's faith. Like, and, 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 and if you're connected to like a higher power or an understanding of like some type of greater impact you're supposed to have. Yep. And what your me, purpose is. What your purpose is. That's the thing that keeps you going. Um, I think there are other good practices. I did start doing yoga. I definitely did. Um, I think there's things that just our bodies can trap. Uh, trauma and our bodies can trap um, and become inflamed with just all all type of you know tension. So I think there's there's physical practices we need to to do as well. But I, I would just suggest if you don't just developing some form of relationship with with, with the higher power because you're going to need a lot of faith to persevere. I love it. I love everything that Sage is saying right now. So ensure that, you know, if, if you subscribe to a higher power and faith, just lean into that in a big way, especially when you make the decision to step away from a nine to five. Right. Yes. It, it's critically important that you do that. And the other thing that he also spoke about is just the ability to respond and understand when your body is telling you that you're going through a tense time and moment and find ways to alleviate that. And so for him, as he shared, taps into yoga, right? So be sure you're you're really looking at that and thinking that through. You took time to talk to us about some things that you're experimenting with, you know, and you spoke about the the personal subscription plans that you're putting out there. What else do you have for the future vision of Words Live? Man, so I'm really excited about our next patent. Um, it was another topic we should talk about. Um, developing your IP early and often uh, and having what's called a comprehensive IP. Again, more acronyms. Right. Intellectual right. property uh, strategy. <laughs> having a, a robust strategy. That's just that's the trademarks. 
that's the copyrights and that's the patents. And then that's the system of layering your patents because they can provide only temporary um, protection. And so you want to be strategic about how you file patents and, 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 and sort of layer on those levels of protection. Um, so our, our next one, which I won't give all the details we haven't filed yet, but it's a system for ranking literature. And so I'm just really excited about this because part of our, I'll, I'll say it's, it's not quite an ulterior motive, but it's definitely baked into the solution. Um, part of what we're trying to do is to elevate the, um, the rigor, elevate the quality of today's writers. We, we, we don't want to just call them songwriters. We want to place them on par with the literary artists of throughout history. Right. So every kid has to read uh, Shakespeare, Cervantes, Edgar Allan Poe, T.S. Eliot, because we've, we've ranked them at a high enough level to say these are the quality writers of the past. Well, if I can show you that today's songwriters are writing at the same quality, I mean, they're talking about similar things, they're treating and discussing things, they're using similar or the same or advanced literary techniques, then I can begin to do some real comparison there. And if I can do that, then I can really get um, creative with, with the way that we, we instruct and, and, and get kids to build their literary skills. And so we're just working on a, uh, a process that objectively ranks any piece of literature. So I can give you a score for a, a Shakespeare piece and tell you how that score uh, compares with a, a Jay-Z verse. So that's what we're doing right now. And in, in what you're hearing right now, right? And I think it harkens back to some of the things that Sage was talking about earlier in the show. Um, you know, you listen to sort of what your customers are talking about and what is resonating with them to figure out other avenues that you could potentially go down and start experimenting with that. And so mm -hmm. what, what we're hearing is is probably another offshoot of that, right? Like there was something that people were asking or requesting in some way, shape or form. And now they're going through the process of really protecting that before they come out and bring that to market. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, make certain that you go ahead and follow Words Live through all the platforms and make certain I put that in the show notes for you. Um, yes. And if you are interested, like was stated before, um, in exploring it as an application personally, you know, you have kids, whatever, it's available now um, as well. We're going to segue into uh, the five minute hustle now. So it's a little call and response section that I do in the midst of uh, legacy hustle so that people can learn some of the tidbits and things that they could potentially take away and apply for their own sort of legacy hustle. So what initially held you back from becoming an entrepreneur? I just didn't see a lot. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of entrepreneurs in my family. Yeah. So it, it was, I'm kind of like the black sheep anyway, of my family. <laughs> so it, I, I guess that's another reason why I eventually made the leap, but I just, I just don't come from a lot of entrepreneurs. Right. So not having role models and people out there that, you know, you saw in, in your family that were doing it. And so it's probably a little bit scary thing to do. Um, what's the best business advice you've ever received? Man, this is a good one. And there's so many. Um, I, I would honestly have to say. This is going to sound weird, but there's a deeper meaning behind it. It's fake it till you make it. But it was said from a mentor, and I was shocked because this mentor is the truth. And so this is why I think it became deep. It was the last part of till you make it, which basically just told me it doesn't matter what your hustle looks like right now. You have to just keep going. 
and eventually you're going to make it. And that's that's the way I took it. I know a lot of people take that piece of advice and it's like, ah, I'm not fake. I don't want to be fake. No, I, I think the deeper message is whatever you're doing right now is probably jacked up and might feel jacked up, but you have to keep going. And if you do keep going, you will actually make it. And that's the part because this was said from a very uh, successful, prominent person. So I took it seriously. And it really resonates with me. And I'll tell you why. I think for a lot of us, even in like our corporate or if we work in academia or academia walk, there's that um, concept of of sort of feeling like, you know, you're you're not really supposed to be in the midst of of the environment that you're in. Right. You're some sort of poser, if you will. Right. Um, And so Mm. we truly do in many ways belong mm. in that environment because we have the skill sets, we have the knowledge base, but we discount for different reasons and different elements that we think are missing. And we amplify that a lot more than we necessarily need to. Right. Wow. And so it's one of those things where I absolutely love it because in our minds, we may be thinking we're faking it, but in mm-hmm. reality, we should be there just as much as everyone else. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, as we continue in this path, we'll gain the knowledge, we'll gain the understanding, we'll gain those resources if that's truly where we want to be at. And it'll just take off from there. So it really resonates with me. Thank you, you know, for that, saying that. That's powerful. That, that's the solution with, with, with imposter syndrome. Absolutely. That's powerful. Absolutely. All right. So for you, what's what's a business book, magazine or podcast, something that you turn to on a regular basis that you think people out there should should pick up or tap into as well? Too many. Um, The popular podcast I listen to a Masters of Scale. That's a big one. Reed Hoffman. I also love uh, a 16 Z's podcast. Um, That's the venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz. They've been a leader in the VC space for a really long time. I like theirs. I like HBRs. They always just have fresh content. Harvard Business Reviews podcast. Um, And I'll make sure I put all of these different uh, resources that he's talking about in the show notes as well. So don't worry. They're there. If you're listening to the list, trying to write it down, just look at the show notes. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Sorry to mean to shut you off. Like you were you were running through that list. You're you're good. Um, Business books. There's a there's a few dimes. Uh, So. There's a there's a old I call it the OG one by Peter Drucker. Now Peter Drucker is like an NBA legend. Like I think he even started a bunch of NBA programs, or at least the format of it. Yeah. But he has one called Innovation in, in and Entrepreneurship. What? Sorry, Sage. MBA, Masters of Business Administration, yes. not yes. NBA. Just wanted to clarify. Go ahead. Continue. Yes. No. Thank thank you for that. Yep. Um. The, your, your advanced business degree. But I would cop Peter Drucker's Innovation and Entrepreneurship. Um. I think it's just a classic. He breaks down like the approach of an entrepreneur and how you see the world and where you see your opportunities, because half of this is like management skills. Like, let's be honest, you're going to be managing a team, managing a set of projects, managing the build out of a service or a product. Like it's, you can't get it twisted. This is a lot of management skill that you need. Um, And so Peter Drucker's book, I think was, that was real pivotal for me. Another one is um, the art of the startup. Uh, and that was, um, what's my guy, Kawasaki, Guy Kawasaki's. That's another good one. He has more of a, um, I call it like a spiritual approach to entrepreneurship. He talks about mantras and, and, um, and, and attaching emotion. And I think you have to have that. That's another good one. Um, 
there's given a, us a lot so you don't need to keep bragging your brain um <laughs> and, and what you're seeing here right is is another thing that i really appreciate and respect about sage his continued hunger and thirst for knowledge and just trying to figure out how to continuously level himself mm -hmm. and his business up in different ways using the knowledge of others so definitely something you should be always doing, which is why I have this segment in the show as well, so that you can take away some of these great nuggets from the different guests that come on. All right. And then finally, for your business, what's some tool, application, resource that you never even knew about before you started? Now it's like it's a critical part of how you navigate that people <laughs> should consider or think about when they're starting up their own business as well. For me, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because like I'm still getting used to it, but it's the Google dashboard. And that's because I'm in the app space now. So every like I'm like addicted. Like every day I'm looking at click-through rates, open uh, screen times, uh, are they using on mobile or desktop? Like I'm addicted to Google dashboard. So it, it gives me the insight of my, to my customers, like how they're using our product. So that, that's something I never really, before this, I, I wasn't even thinking about. All right. And so talk a little bit more about that, because that's interesting. So Google Dashboard is yeah. connected through your product and you're able to see where people are using your product from and, and what's yes. going on. Yeah. Just tell me a little bit more. So, so there's in this that I, this will become an obsession, like once you get in business, because it's the analytics. So like there's the game of like going out and hustle, right? Selling, closing a contract, signing up a new customer. But then there's the I need to see how this customer is actually using my product. And I've become obsessed, man. Like I check this thing like three times a day because I need to know more, like what, what's driving them what, or are they getting hung up in certain spots? Does everyone go to one place and stop, right? Like it, those are the questions I'm looking to, 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 to ask for. And, and I got to check my own copy. If I send out 200 emails, how many of them actually got open and they click through links? And then from there, how many new signups did I get? Like I'm, I'm obsessed with analytics because that's the real world behavior. That's what's really happening to your company. And uh, I think a lot of us, we don't dig in our analytics enough. Thank you for that. Really appreciate you taking us on that journey. Um, I'm really excited about what you've created. I've been a huge fan and supporter over the years and will continue being as such. Um, really excited for the potential of where things will continue to go. Are there any closing words that you have, Sage Salvo, for the people that have been tuning in and learning about you and Words Live? Man, thanks for taking the time to learn about us. Um, this this game is is real. I, I just say if I can do it, anybody can do it. I'm not a natural entrepreneur. I'm not a natural salesperson. I'm not a natural any part of this business. And so I think it's just pure determination and uh and perseverance and those two words i think will take you as far as you want to go um as rashid is also exhibiting with this new podcast so i'm excited to be here uh as well just contribute to this i think um this conversation is what's needed and i think it's it's an opportunity to grow uh, a community around this particular practice of entrepreneurship so i thank you for this platform brother no doubt we appreciate having you on What's up, Legacy Hustlers? I hope your cup is overflowing with inspiration, motivation, and knowledge after listening to our guests today. And if it was, don't forget to subscribe, like, follow, comment, and share with your friends so we can continue to grow the base of listeners. Shout outs to Chris from Sideline Records for always producing an amazing episode. 
Jonathan Leonard, we see you. Thank you for the uh, intro music. And to our listeners, until the next time we connect, please don't get in your own way in the pursuit of your dreams.